I'm Duncan McNichol. And I'm Dominic Norberg. And this is an episode of Not Not Exactly Exactly Rocket Science. Science. (laughs) Oh, that didn't sound Mm, healthy. Yeah. Wow. Um, So, Not Exactly Rocket Science also has its dangers. It does. It's true. Um, As does medical research, which is what we're actually obviously talking about. Uh, The reason that we're talking to them is because we don't know what they're talking about. Um, Because we're uh, not medics we're not medical researchers we're not even biologists not even um, close i uh, i used to be a chemistry teacher now i'm doing a physics phd and i'm an engineer and doing a phd in optics and image processing so we're well placed to talk to these medical researchers um we are the surrogate you this episode we're talking to um philippa saunders um who is the professor of something here i guess we should probably let her introduce herself Let's go. So, uh, I'm Philippa Saunders. Mm -hmm. I'm based at the University of Edinburgh in the Centre for Inflammation Repair. Uh, I am the Professor of Reproductive Steroids. So that's the first hint as to what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) Uh, Yes, deciding on what you're going to be called as a professor is one of those interesting experiences. You pick things and then they say you can't be called that because someone else is. Wow. So all, all the professors have to have different things. Yes, so, yes. wow. I'd never really thought about that before. Neither had I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I did an undergraduate degree in microbiology and then through various means that are probably best a veil drawn over them, I ended up in Cambridge and did a PhD uh, working on pig reproduction at the Babram Institute. Pig so that was quite a big leap from microbiology. Mm. And there was this moment when I went for my interview with this guy and he said the immortal phrase, which most people will never have heard, which is, did you know the pig blastocyst, and this is the pig embryo, grows from being 10 millimetres to a metre in length over the course of 24 hours? 24 hours? That's insane. It remodels. It goes from being this tiny, tiny little... Thing to ending up a metre in length. That's insane. It, well, could you imagine just sitting there? I'm having an interview and I thought, wow. Yeah. No, I didn't <laughs> know that. I really would like this job he's offering. What do I say? So I said, wow, I didn't know that. That sounds amazing. Anyway, I got the job looking at this um, pig embryo. And, and he got how... a researcher who was interested. Mm. Yes. Well, it turned out that what I was doing was he'd hired me to finish off someone's PhD because they'd run away to another country, leaving the study half finished. Oh, wow. Anyway, um, I joined this department just as a technician, started working. And about a year in, I looked around. A, I realised I loved doing research which I'd always loved doing when I was an undergraduate anyway because I'd built the equipment and done everything in the lab. That was the best bit. Hadn't done very well in my degree because it was far too much, you know, drinking and enjoying life. But I loved this research. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. It was like being a detective because everything was unknown and you were looking for the evidence. You know, I always think of science a bit like a detective. You're building up the evidence to come up with the whodunit at the end. And the whodunit can be how the cell works, how the thing migrates, how the tissues formed, but there's a whodunit sort yeah. of story there. So rather than join the police, became a scientist. So there was a whodunit in there 
And it was a year in and I was, I had two things happened. One, I couldn't replicate any of the experiments the previous person had done. Not at all. Right. I have no idea what she'd done, but I couldn't replicate them. But I had done them really, really well. Yeah. So I knew I trusted my own data. And secondly, in the um, sexist times in which I lived, I looked around the department and I realised that there was four or five PhD students. And then there was me, the technician. Mm-hmm. We were all at the same age and stage. Their degrees were no better than mine. They were doing PhDs. So I went to the head of the department and I said, I want to do a PhD. And he said, are you sure? Don't you want to be a technician? And that was like really? a red rag to a bull. I and I have not changed since then. <laughs> so I said, no. <laughs> Hit the desk and kind of went, no. And he was left in no did, doubt. Did, did he give any reason at all as to why to ask that question? Well, like there that. wasn't any funding, basically. Okay. So I was being paid. You know, it's like giving up a job yeah. to do a PhD. So I gave up a job, and what they did was they took this technician's salary and they took what I would have been paid in a year, Mm -hmm. divided it down into two, and came up with two years' money towards a PhD. Not three years' money towards a PhD, but two years' money towards a PhD. And I duly embarked on this PhD, which turned out to be everything a PhD should and shouldn't be. So the PhD had lots of questions. It was exciting. It was interesting. And I got data. But when I came to writing it up, I realised there was a very big problem with some of my data that no one had advised me about a particular assay having a false positive result. So I had to go back into the lab and repeat it. And when I had my Viva, the examiners even said they felt sorry for me. Wow. So this is examiners never feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, also it was in Cambridge, and the other thing about the Viva, which um, I've regaled countless students with when I tell them to enjoy their Viva, which is a, another thing you all students should enjoy their Viva because somebody is there reading what they've done and they've worked hard for it, mm. was it was Cambridge. So I had on an academic gown, I had accepted a job in America, and I had to get this Viva through and get finished with it because I was leaving the following week, and. Um, it was 11 o'clock in the morning and the internal examiner said, I think we'll have a sherry. Right, it's, it's the Viva. Um, and it was not in the days, you know, nowadays, you know, no alcohol would pass the lips of anybody during a Viva. But he decided, because he was a Cambridge don, that he would have a sherry. So he opens up this cupboard of sherry. And I thought, well, what do you say? Do you say, oh, it's my Viva and I'm totally pissed. The, luckily, the external said it was a bit early for him. I was like, well... Anyway, we held out for another hour. And another thing that happened during that viva, until it still stays with me, is I had totally misquoted the ex- internal examiner's own work. Oh, no. But he was the nicest man. And he said, well, that's not really what I said. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, dear, this isn't going too well. And then he said, oh, well, we will have a sherry. <laughs> so I left my viva um, slightly inebriated, um, having misquoted the internal examiner and not quite sure about the system for passing. And I had to do the corrections sitting in some secretary's office the next day with literally a pen and some snowpake, which people used to use. In other words, it was before the days when you typed yeah. them. So research, the research theme that has um, linked the entire research sort of activity since I came to Edinburgh relates to steroids. So 
steroids. What are steroids? Steroids are things like, you know, testosterone, the thing that makes okay. men men, and estrogen, the thing that makes women women. Except interestingly enough, the interesting thing for me is men have quite a lot of estrogen in them, you know, their feminine side, okay. and men have, women have a lot of androgen in them. Is the word steroids interchangeable with hormones then? Steroids are hormones in that they can be produced in um, one part of your body and act in another. One of the things we're working on at the moment is something called... So so that's the idea of endocrinology. So in a woman, large amount of estrogen will be produced in the ovary, enter the bloodstream, and it will cause changes in the womb, in the uterus, and make a woman fertile. There's another emerging field in which I think which is really one of the areas we've got very interested in the last few years, is where a peripheral tissue, let's talk about the uterus, that's where we mostly do our work in the womb, mm. a peripheral tissue might make its own steroid, its own estrogen. Okay. It's like a fine-tuning. So it'll take the body of what the body's got in it and then it'll fine-tune it so that within its own tissue it's got just what it needs to, to function. And this is called intrachronology mm. as opposed to endocrinology. Endocrinology is something that's made through the bloodstream and acts yeah. like antigen will help your muscles grow. It'll be able to make you fertile. But intrachronology is the kind of thing that happens in fat, happens actually in muscles as well, happens in the uterus, where the tissue will take whatever's in the blood and it'll switch it into what it needs locally in response to whatever's going on. And that's a whole new field of research. So the whole thing that links it is steroids. And the steroids I'm interested in are sex steroids. So people will be familiar with steroids, things like um, cortisol. You know, if you get inflammation, you'll get a cream. That's a steroid. There's lots of other steroids circulating in the blood. But sex steroids are the ones that really drive the reproductive system. So I'm a reproductive biologist. So sex steroids are kind of important to me. There's three big O's in the sex steroid field. There's estrogens, so-called women's hormones, androgens, so-called men's hormones, and then progestins, which are particularly involved in pregnancy in women. So I've focused on the androgens and the estrogens. And I've focused on them in terms of what they do with fertility and what they do with your general health and how they are dysregulated when you get things like cancer. Well, while we're on those, so you say the so-called female steroids or so-called male and so on so they exist in both absolutely yeah absolutely so and that's you, one you, of the big breakthroughs if, if you read in a newspaper that oh only women have this or only men have that's that you wrong. can it's, it's complete nonsense no. then it's because actually one of the big things we're working on at the moment is the impact of androgens on women's health so androgens are great for your sex drive. We've now found just our own data has shown in the last two years that they could be very important for fertility. Right. And we're also now using them as potentially a target um, for, for new therapies. So one of the things about an androgen is if you, if you have a piece of um, endometrium and this happens in, in That's people who are changing. That's tissue around the uterus. So endometrium is the middle bit. It's the bit where the baby gets implanted. So the uterus has got this big muscular layer around it called the myometrium, and that's the bit that expands to let the baby there and pushes the baby out at um, 
the end of pregnancy. But in the middle is this nice, gorgeous piece of hormone responsive tissue with lots of blood vessels and it's got a nice lumen. And that's the receptive place that the, the embryo will implant and it'll be nurtured and grow. And what happens in women is every time that there's no embryo around, it sheds and starts again. So that's a period. Yeah. And we're interested in how it becomes receptive but particularly how it can repair after menstruation because it doesn't form a scar. So if you cut your skin, you end up with a sort of lump and a bit of fibrosis. Mm-hmm. The endometrium doesn't do that. Even so, though it's bleeding Exactly. Every month. It looks like a wound. Yeah. So it's like a perfect model for scarless repair. But we think steroids are really hot and interesting. But I have a really difficult time with my colleagues who work on like the liver and the lung and the kidney. Because every time I go to a conference and I was at a meeting yesterday where all the students were presenting their work, so I put my hand up and I go, did you do that study on the liver in men or women? And they go, well, we did it in the males. And what happens in the females? Oh, we've no idea. And you go, wait, you remember that thing about steroids being really important in health? Have you thought about that? So that's what, that's, that's another sort of thing. It's trying to raise awareness of how important these biological entities are. Steroids are really small. They move around the blood and in the tissues really rapidly. Then they interact with binding proteins, which are called receptors. But they are able to cross the membranes. They're highly dynamic. The amount you have will have a big effect. They need these partner proteins to act, Mm -hmm. but they're very potent. And this is why one of the worst things is um, steroid abuse. So if we take bodybuilders, Mm, right? So these guys, if, if I look for androgens on on the web. And I'm interested in these compounds which have been made by the pharmaceutical companies, which are called selective androgen receptor modulators, because they're very useful in research and and very, very useful in maybe being a fertility treatment. If I put that into Google search, I get the most horrendous selection of pictures Mm. of massively muscled guys. Yeah. So there's several things there. They are pumping up their muscles, which is interesting. They're probably, um, they'll definitely be altering their moods because androgens can drive mood changes. They will. Towards any particular direction? Make you more aggressive in right. general. Right. Because it's this, you know, it's the whole animal thing about breeding and, you know, it's. Fighting. It's the fighting red stags growing antlers and that's an androgen driven thing. You know, they grow the antlers, then they go out and fight, then they procreate so that their genetic material continues, yeah. which is what reproduction is for. But these guys who are taking all this stuff in, they're building up their muscles, right? But one of the things that they're doing is they're affecting their fertility and their moods will yeah. change. We've shown years ago that if you give an excess of androgen, it's a contraceptive because you shut down yeah. the central system. Wow. So I could go into much more graphic detail about what I think it's doing to their systems, but it's not a good thing. And when they stop taking them, have you ever seen those pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger? I've got a lecture I give, which shows him when he was Mr. Universe Mm. and show him now. When they stop taking them, all these muscles regress and all their body goes all flabby. And they have a lot of trouble getting babies because they're basically taking a contraceptive. I I saw a guy when I gave blood at the beginning of this month um, who was massively built in a way that looked like it was probably steroid abuse or yeah. something along those lines um but he was i i arrived at the blood donor center and he was upside down in his chair because he had had some sort of 
episode you know, episode while while giving yeah. blood um and uh and yeah i i thought his blood pressure is probably high as well yeah um and yeah, you know, I was so I was. I thought I found I found it a little bit entertaining, if I'm honest. A little bit of Schadenfreude there. Um, that this guy who'd obviously been abusing his body now mm. couldn't trust it. Um, and but then I was also absolutely shocked when when I was having my little cup of tea after giving blood without having an episode. Um, and the last thing I saw him do was roll a cigarette before he went outside. <laughs> and I thought. My word, what an absolute idiot. Well, that's terrible, isn't it? It's just I mean, a, that's not a healthy thing. It, it's the a, other thing is it's younger people doing it. Mm. Your long-term consequence for your heart health, bone health, blood health, not to mention you're not going to be able to have kids, yeah. is, is just not very healthy. It's quite a scary thing. But, 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 but you know, steroids are incredibly potent, mm. incredibly potent. And when they get wrong you can have problems. And one of the things that's very interesting in, in the field is to what extent these peripheral tissues make their own steroids. And of course, we learned a huge amount from breast cancer research. Years and years ago, they showed, there was a classic paper, they took different pieces of tissue biopsy mm-hmm. from the breast near or far from the tumour, and near the tumour was making more local estrogen. It wasn't circulating in the blood to drive this tumour to grow. It was making it right beside the tumour and feeding it. It's like feeding the tumour. So it's amazing. So then you give a drug that blocks making that estrogen, and it's highly effective. Yeah. Or a drug that stops you responding to it, like tamoxifen. And that's why so many women are on tamoxifen treatment. So we think it's pretty hot stuff. Sounds it. When when you talk to those other researchers at the conference, what would you advocate then? Would you advocate for mixed groups or would you advocate for do your research on men and women and look at the results separately? Well, there's different things you can do. One, don't close your mind to the idea that the sex stroke gender of the person you're you're studying, because some people are obviously change their gender relative to their sex anyway. That could have a very big difference if they're taking a lot of steroid Mm. for that. Um, But equally, when you're developing drugs to treat a particular symptom, if you only do all the studies on one sex, like you only do everything on a model system that's cells from men, or you only use male rats, or you only study men, you cannot assume it will be the same in women. And then in women, there's a very big difference between younger women, where their system's being flooded with ovarian-derived hormones because they're naturally cycling, they're in their fertile phase, yeah. as opposed to a postmenopausal woman when her ovaries have shut down and most of her steroid is coming from peripheral sources. And you see changes in body, you know, you see a change in a body shape of women as they age, they get much more central adiposity in general. They look much more like men in terms of where they distribute their fat. So there's all kinds of things in terms of people's life, Mm. you know, between being young when boys and girls have quite a different hormonal profile through your reproductive years where men have a lot more androgen than women into older age where both sexes, the amount of steroid does decline because their gonads are making less. That has an effect on how your wounds heal. You see much more chronic leg ulcers in older people. Your bones need steroids, so people break bones more. Um, Your muscles will waste a lot more. So one of the problems with older people is their ability to still walk and move. 
Um, Which has then more implications even on mental health and... and, and, And then, you know, there's a whole load of stuff about how steroids affect your mental health. Mm. And the brain makes its own steroids as well. It's a very, very big area. So we tend to focus on a a certain part of it. But, But one of the areas we're very interested in is how injury or repair of tissues, what impact steroids have on that. You know, whether it's your skin, the uterus is a skull to repair, your liver, kidneys... And so what we're trying to do is is get more get more of a sort of a network of people with an interest in that. Mm. So there's there's a a good chance then that that the way that my body responds to to wounds or or, or injuries would be different to a woman of my age and history. Slightly. Or, or Duncan and ten on fifteen years. Slightly different. Or yeah. Or, um, but also. The main difference will be when you get older, probably. Okay. Yeah. And and one of the areas that um, is of concern is people either with cancer or in older people where their muscles start to waste. It's called cachexia. And for that, we're looking at therapies. Because if you can remain mobile and mm. physically able and physically fit, your muscles remain strong, your bones remain strong, and it helps you mentally. Mm. Um, so actually people remaining mobile, I think, is a very important area. So there's much more to research than just thinking in a, you know, a cell in a dish, but you can take your cell in your dish information and make it more relevant. And I think that's one of the great things about medical research now. It's trying to be much more relevant. Yeah. Really. Would you then say that all of that research, again, like the, if you nail it down for elderly people, you know, building up muscles again, would you say that that could lead to more abuse again as well? That is the issue because the same compounds that are being used for abusive purposes are the same ones that have been developed to help older people. Um, those those selective androgen receptor modulators, they were originally developed um, to treat muscle cachexia in, in uh, cancer victims, cancer survivors and cancer sufferers because muscle wasting is one of the side effects of the profound metabolic change of having a, having mm. a cancer. And people mostly, you know, because of the energetic load of the cancer, they do suffer cachexia. That's why they were developed. But, of course, the bodybuilders have fixed on them as being yeah. excellent stuff. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is just a question that I... I See, at least you're all interested. Me. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Um, we wouldn't be doing this <laughs> if we weren't. Um, yeah, this is a question that's just occurred to me, and I, I guess it, it's, it's, long, it's been a long time coming, but... Um, why is it that why menopause why does that happen is it is it an energy thing is it a, like if if you're saying there's this significant difference mm. and it sounds like women become less healthy afterwards almost or less well um there's lots of theories about why why menopause you've got to remember that uh, not many species experience a menopause um and that the the way survival curves have increased, mm. you know, if women's average menopause is somewhere between 45 and 55, and you look back at longevity historically, women weren't really living beyond that time. Yeah. But now they are. Um, equally, there's always been long-lived people in, in communities, and we're a social species. Mm-hmm. So if we go to some of the monkey species, in 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 um, one of the, the small monkeys I've I know a bit about, and it's called the common marmoset. These monkeys live in the trees in South America. Mm-hmm. 
And what they do, it's a bit like, um, you know, a bit like groups of animals where only the lead people, um, the lead, the lead uh, protagonists breed like bees and other things. So in a population of marmosets, you may have a family group, it's a big family group, mm-hmm. but only one female will breed. She'll be fertile. Every other female is suppressed by the pheromones, by the environment, so they are not breeding. What they're doing is supporting the offspring Mm. of their mother's sister or whatever. Okay. So that's, in a way, is an induced menopause in a primate species. So if you think about what is the purpose of having an older, non-reproductively active female within your group, it's that... There are more hands on deck to look after the children. And, of course, we as a species are quite immature when we're born. We need a lot of care. We need nurturing. We're not up running across the plains as a wildebeest is. So we have a long childhood and we have a social group to support that. You know, even within the elephants and others, you know, there's a social group. So it's been argued that the purpose of a postmenopausal state in people is that the grannies are available to look after the children because they're effectively going to support their daughters and granddaughters who are their same genetic pool or within their village to support that and you know um i have children and i wish i'd had the granny on Mm. side to help with the children and if you look at more um you know rural populations or hunter gatherers the older women are very much involved in looking after the children. So the argument is, is there's a purpose in still hunter gathering and feeding a non-reproductively effective person who's not going to carry on your genetic load because yeah. actually she's already done that by having offspring yeah. and they're going to help with nurturing the next generation. And that, that's one argument that's been made. It's interesting. But uh, there's, there's other arguments around. I'm just giving yeah. you the sort of Wikipedia version yeah. here. It, um, uh, yeah, my so my brother had a baby in September. Um, so you know just how much needing and helping. Well, exactly, and uh, helpless. They're helpless. There. So so he uh, he and his girlfriend moved to um, the Hebrides uh, while they were pregnant, and uh, to the island where my mum lives. Um, so she is exactly that granny there helping to care for the but it's interesting isn't it because i'm of a generation where we all went a disparate all over the place and when Mm. i had children my mother said well don't expect me to look after the kids because you know that's not what i'm wanting to do i want to lead my life Mm. and run around the world and do other things and now uh you know i see increasingly um people are moving closer to their parents again because it is such a big effort Mm. to care for a child because childcare is so expensive and if we're in scandinavia maybe we wouldn't need this but you do need people to help yeah, no, for a good definitely. experience. So they did the right thing. It's lucky your mum was up for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but most mums are up for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she likes off she a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we we always finish with um, one of the two of us. This time it's going to be Dominic again. Um, again. Um, so <laughs> summarising uh, what we've talked about, just to to see if we've kind of understood basically. Um, so Dominic. Go. So basically, what Philippa works on is steroids and it's specifically sex steroids because there are loads of different steroids Mm -hmm. but um sex steroids are extremely powerful and they are like um they i guess they urge cells to do stuff or they urge organs to do stuff and they urge your body to change in one direction or the other um 
There are differences between men and women, and there are differences in age, and that has profound effects on, yeah, how your body works, how it heals, how it, how you feel, how your moods go, and um, and so I guess what I take away from this is, uh, yeah, that the body is complex, and um, and that if you want to get down to how your how bodies react to medicines and all that kind of stuff that um that revolves around the area of steroids then you're well advised to go into detail of age and sex as well sound good sounds excellent Excellent. i'm gonna get him to summarize my research (laughs) next time that's good it's been really nice talking to you guys and you you. thanks very much you're welcome so that was uh an interesting chat i thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff about age and sex and, and location, and suddenly I'm feeling like it's the 90s and I'm in a, an online chat room. Um, there wasn't actually anything about location, but nonetheless. Well, um, we did talk about good old Arnie. Yep, that's true. Um, her man. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, and my adventures at the blood bank. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, I thought an interesting chat. Um, I don't know that there's much left to say, really. Um, except thank you again to Philippa um, for for her interesting stuff. We hope you enjoyed this episode again and that you understood as much or more than we did. Yep, uh, that's always our hope. Um, and uh, you can find us online still at notexactlyrocketscience.fm um, .fm or at, um, at, at exactlyrocket uh, on, on Twitter um, because the not and the science wouldn't fit. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's weird but there you go twitter couldn't handle it (laughs) oh i guess i guess i guess that joke has probably been made a thousand times before (laughs) yeah yeah another great ending um so yeah we'll see you next time again we won't see you next time we'll we'll you'll hear us next time there'll be another podcast that's that's what biology and medical research does with you it confuses you